morning. It's good to be here. It is good to gather in the presence of the saints. Um, just a couple of announcements as we begin. We have our normal Bible studies uh, tonight at 5, and then the women's Bible study on 6 o'clock on Wednesday evening. Women of the Church, your monthly meeting is scheduled for the 13th of October at 7 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. Um, are there any other announcements today? If not, our call to worship comes from Psalm 69, verses 29 through 36. I am in pain and distress. May your salvation, O God, protect me. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and hooves. The poor will seek and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Let the heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that move in them. For God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah. Then people will settle there and possess it. The children of his servants will inherit it, and those who love his name will dwell there. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we are here today because you have called us into this place. From the different things of our lives, from our works, from our entertainments, you have called us into this place to be reminded that those who love your name will dwell with you forever. To remind us that we are here to offer worship and praise to you. So Lord, we gather today to do that, to worship you. We will worship you through hearing you speak. We will worship you through the teaching of the word. We will worship you through prayer. And we will worship you through song. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. And we thank you for teaching us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please take Bible songs, that green book there before you, and turn to number 142, Supplication and Testimony. As the psalmist said, once God answered his prayer in the midst of distress, he would testify to the goodness of God. And so we have that opportunity now through standing to sing supplication and testimony. And remember, we are singing in a speaking voice. As much as we desire to lift our voices, we are praising God in a speaking voice. So let us stand and sing Bible Song 142.
Please be seated. As we consider the holy God that we cry out to, we are remembered or we are reminded of the things that his son told us in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, or fool, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. So let us take a few moments to consider our words to our brothers and sisters, to our fellow human beings, as we confess to the Lord silently. Lift up your heads, you sinners, and know that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, it's page 1865. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed entered that rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. We are called by God to worship him through the giving of our tithes and offerings. We have opportunities here through the baskets in the front or in the back. Um, Also, please, uh, if you would prefer to mail your tithes and offerings in, we can do that that way. 
And thank you to everyone who continues to support the work of God in this community. Our Lord God and Father above, we thank you for all that you have provided for us. And we thank you for an opportunity to show our gratitude, to show our worship for what you have given to us by returning a portion as tithes, as offerings. Lord, we know that we could never repay you for the grace that was given to us. And this is not a repayment. This is not an attempt to purchase salvation. This is an attempt to worship you by trusting that what you have given us is enough that we can give back a portion to you. So Lord, be honored by our trust, be honored by our worship, and may you take what has been given today and use it for your glory and for your honor. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take the hymn book, that maroon book there before you, and turn to number 222. Jesus, stand among us is our prayer that is the promise that we have that Jesus is with us. So let us remain standing and sing hymn 222. be seated. In your bulletin, in your order of service, you will find 
the Apostles' Creed written. The Apostles' Creed is a summary of the truths that we profess as believers, truths that are found in the Word of God. And as Christian, these are tr- as Christians, these are truths that we believe. So Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. As we go to the Lord today, just a couple of updates. We do praise God. Wesley got home yesterday, so we praise God for that. So, amen. Yes, he uh, um, reunited with the girls um, last evening, so that was a, a fun time. Also be praying for Hannah Pearson. She fell and broke um, the head of her arm bone that goes into the elbow there. So they don't think she'll need surgery, but um, be praying for her. Also, Joyce Pritz, I had an opportunity to officiate the Lord's Supper down at New Lebanon this morning. Um, And thank you to Bruce for filling in in Sunday school. Um, But Joyce Pritt has been having some health issues. Uh, Some of them are ongoing, some of them are new. So um, please uh, pray for Joyce and lift her up. Are there any other prayer requests? Okay. And I guess they kind of delaying his AIT from what I hear also, right? Yeah, he's going to put in a holding pattern. Okay. All right. Well, let's go. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, you are great and worthy of praise, and we do thank you for this opportunity to come to you. You command us to bring our thanksgivings our needs, our concerns, our anxieties to you, and you will meet them with peace. Lord, we we affirm that you are the sovereign God, that you are the all-knowing and all-seeing God, as we have read in our scripture reading from this morning, that everything is uncovered and laid bare before you. And so we know that none of the things that we pray for surprise you, but our prayers remind us of your sovereignty, of your control, of your glory in the midst of these difficulties, in the midst of the heat of life. Lord, we thank you for your grace to the Williamson family. We thank you that Wesley is home. We thank you that he is reunited with his family and they can uh, begin to move forward from here into their family life. Just over these next few weeks that he has of rest, we ask that you um, sustain and renew him in that rest. And then as he... Um, either returns to his job or seeks new employment, we ask that you be glorified and, and be faithful to them in his employment. But we 
We praise you that he is home, that he is safe, and that he is reunited with us and with his family. We lift up to you today these concerns. We think of Hannah Pearson and ask for a quick healing of her elbow, of her broken arm, and we ask that it uh, that the doctors be correct, that she need doesn't need surgery, and that this will heal on its own, and she will be back to um, herself in no time. We also lift up our sister Joyce and ask that you uh, sustain her, be with her. She's been faithful to you these many, many years, and we know that you will be faithful to her in providing her healing and providing her relief from her health issues. We pray as well for Ethan as he is in this holding pattern, as he is adjusting to Fort Sill, and we ask that you uh, give him your peace in the midst of this adjustment time. We ask that you give him your comfort and your strength as he is waiting. Sometimes waiting is difficult, and we as human beings are impatient, and we don't always wait well, but give him the strength through his faith in you to wait well and to glorify you in this time. Or we lift up your church. We think of your church around the world, around this country, in this area, all of the faithful ministers who are today seeking to proclaim your truth. We ask for your strength and your grace upon them. We ask for your spirit in their message so that our world might be changed. We think specifically of the persecuted church around the world in China, in the Middle East, in Africa. We ask that you protect those who believe in you and that when they are persecuted, that they give a good witness, a good testimony to the truth, to the joy, to the hope, to the power of the gospel. We lift up Mitchell as he is in his basic training, also in his chaplain school with the army. We ask that you would prepare the hearts of those whom he will serve and uh, lead him to glorify you in his ministry there. Lord, we pray for Nathan in Charlottesville. We pray for his church. We thank you for the growth that it has had over the last six months, even in the midst of a coronavirus. We thank you for the faithfulness that you have shown to that church there in Charlottesville, and we ask for continued growth and continued ministry there. We do lift up our government today, specifically our president. And Lord, uh, we think things are in a state of unrest now. We ask that you would bring healing to our president and to his wife and be glorified in that healing. We pray for stability in our nation and in our government We pray for leaders who are wise and peacekeepers, peace seekers, who will engage in discourse rather than argumentation, who will engage in discussion rather than destructive words. And Lord, help us as the people who elect them to do the same thing, to engage in discourse and in discussion. Help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Help us to remember that we are citizens of this country, but we are also citizens of a heavenly country. And we are seeking that better country, even as we live in this one. So help us to be good citizens here and reflect the fact that we are citizens of the new new heavens and the new earth. Lord, guide us in your way. 
Help us to seek revival first with us. Lord, we know that you work mightily in revival through the ordinary means of grace, the preaching and teaching of the word, the prayer and the celebration of the sacraments. And yet, Lord, revival doesn't just come to those outside the church. It must first come to those inside the church through a form of reformation, us being reformed with a desire to reach out to the community around us, to seek the power of the gospel in our own lives and in the communities around us, to seek alleviation of suffering both in our own lives and in the communities around us. So, Lord, forgive us for praying for revival outside these walls and not wanting it inside these walls. And, Lord, bring reformation into this body. Revive us again so that we are alive with the power of the gospel so that the community around us might see us changed and might see you glorified. Lord, we know that you hear. We know that you answer. We know that you have done these things before, and so we have faith that you will do them again. Lord, we approach your throne in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please turn with me now in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We are in Proverbs chapter 14. We will begin in verse 33 and go through uh, verse 4 of chapter 15. Um, if you didn't don't have a Bible with you, there is one there in the pew in front of you. And uh, today we will be looking at this continuation of Solomon's call to his son to pursue wisdom and to pursue righteousness. And we will be looking at it in the context of how we can pursue a righteous nation. So read with me, take up your Bibles and follow along as I read beginning in verse 33 of Proverbs 14. Wisdom reposes or rests in the heart of the discerning, and even among fools she lets herself be known. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. A king delights in a wise servant, but a shameful servant incurs his wrath. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, help us to see your light and your glory in this passage. Lord, as we look towards Solomon's words to his son, Show us you and show us ourselves and show us how to become more like you through the words that are given today. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. As I look at our country and I look at as I look at the upcoming election, if you didn't know it or not, there's an election a month from yesterday. Um, good, I'm glad none of you were shocked. But there's much division centered around this election, around our political life within this country. And, and I think 
the odd thing about this decision, this dissension, this this argumentation is, is that I truly believe that everyone who will vote, everyone who's thinking about voting, everyone who will hopefully register to vote uh, bef- uh, in time to vote in this election is pursuing what Solomon calls in verse 34 of chapter 14, a righteous nation. Now, that may strike us as odd to think that everybody in this country is pursuing the righteousness of our nation. Righteousness has three facets to it, and these facets are interconnected. You you really can't separate them. They are all part of the same righteousness, but it does have three particular facets to it. The first facet of righteousness is a covenantal nature. We've talked before throughout the Old Testament, God relates to his people through the covenant. It's a, the covenant was a document that, that established the, the parameters of a relationship between a strong king and a weaker king as the strong king delivered the weaker king and promised protection for the, for the weaker king. And, and part of these things, part of the, the covenants were these stipulations, these rules, these laws that governed how the relationship would work and adherence to these laws, to these rules, was considered righteous. God has established a covenant with humanity, with the nation of Israel specifically, but it is expanded to the spiritual descendants of Abraham. He has established a covenant with his people and he has stipulations in there. And righteousness for us is determined by how well we are faithful to those stipulations, to those laws. Righteousness on God's side is also determined by how well he keeps his part of the bargain, so to speak. So when God is is faithful to produce blessings for those who are righteous, for those who keep his stipulations, God is considered righteous. On the flip side of that, when God keeps his promises to judge those who violate his covenant laws, he is still righteous in his faithfulness to the covenant. So the first aspect or the first facet of righteousness is covenantal righteousness. The second aspect or facet of righteousness is ethical or relational. It deals with human relationships. If the covenantal nature of Righteousness dealt with that vertical relationship between man and God. The ethical facet of righteousness deals with the relationship of man to man. How equitably and lovingly do we treat each other? Are we concerned for the needs of those who are more needy than us? Are we concerned with the equitable application of the law to everyone, regardless of ethnic or economic background? Do we view our wealth as a tool to serve the rest of humanity? So the first facet of righteousness is this covenantal in nature. The second facet of righteousness is relational in nature. And the third facet is forensic in nature. And this is what we typically think about when we think about righteousness. It's the legal aspect. It's the courtroom aspect of righteousness. The judge in Old Testament Israel was not responsible necessarily for interpreting the law, but weighing the law against an accused person to figure out whether they were either covenantally righteous, relationally righteous, 
or unrighteous in either of those instances. They would weigh the law and the person and declare righteousness or unrighteousness. And this is typically what we think about within the Reformed circle, within the Reformed church, when it comes to righteousness, is this forensic righteousness. Are you righteous? Are you unrighteous? And the reality is each of us is unrighteous. And thanks be to God that he has provided Jesus for us who was covenantally righteous, was relationally righteous. He sought to love God and be faithful to his covenant in all things, and he was successful in that. He sought to treat every human being equitably and according to the to the law and to the glory of God, and he was successful in that. And he earned for himself forensic life, forensic righteousness. But on the cross, he took our forensic unrighteousness so that we might be covered with that righteousness. But when I say that I believe that everyone in our nation is pursuing righteousness, I, I believe they're pursuing that, that second facet of righteousness, which is the relational righteousness. Everybody is pursuing equitable application of the law across the board. Everyone is pursuing equitable opportunity for economic prosperity. Everyone is pursuing a righteousness, at least an, an, a relational righteousness that pursue, that exalts a nation. The problem is that we can't agree on how to get from point A to point B. It's almost like the family that's going to grandmother's house. And they're at the gas station because they're hopelessly lost. And dad is sitting there and he is absolutely right. Dad says we have got to go over the mountain and through the woods. And mom says, no, no, no. We go through the woods and then over the mountain. The kids are in the back seat putting their two cents in saying, why can't we go through the mountain and over the woods? And the poor gas station attendant is in the middle of it trying to get a word in edgewise and to remind everybody, no, it's over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go. There's no mountain involved. That's where we are right now in our nation. And the problem is when we pick a side, we know without a shadow of a doubt that we are absolutely 140% right in how we get from point A to point B. And then by default, anybody who degrees, disagrees with us is automatically wrong. Now Solomon's point in this passage is that it is an admirable to pursue righteousness as a nation. And a nation that practices relational righteousness, a, a nation that seeks equitable application of the law, is a nation that will be exalted, not as much as a nation that would per, perhaps pursue all three aspects, facets of righteousness, but they will be exalted in pursuing relational righteousness. And like the gas station attendant, he gives us the correct directions on how to get there. And the path to righteousness as a nation is marked by wise guidance and wise words. First, wise guidance. Solomon opens today's passage with a reminder or with the, the call that wisdom resides or rests at the heart of the discerning and wisdom is even manifested and revealed among fools, as wisdom's negative consequences come to pass, wisdom is, is proven to be right. And so wisdom 
is shown even among the foolish. We, we are reminded of God revealing himself in nature and in, in our own hearts, even before we meet him within the scriptures. But in, in, in verse 35 of chapter 14, Solomon expands on the righteousness of the nation, on the pathway to the nation by focusing on the wise servant of the king. A king delights in a wise servant, but a shameful servant incurs his wrath. We might be tempted here to, to consider other Proverbs that says that a king who surrounds himself with wise counselors um, does a good thing. And to think that that is the focus of this particular verse. And that's true. A king that surrounds himself with wise counselors is much better off than a king who surrounds himself with foolish counselors. But the focus is on the servant in this particular passage. It's on the wise servant who knows how to talk to the king. Excuse me. An advisor to the king, this servant, is someone who would advise the king and give him a direction on how to apply wisdom to the nation. Now, at first glance, this seems like it would be a good gig. Seems like it would be a good job. But remember, at this time, that Solomon and ultimately his son Rehoboam, who he is teaching, had the power of life and death over his advisors. And what do you do as an advisor when the king's wrong? in the application of the law or in the application of the wisdom? Well, you take your life in your hands, especially if you're going to be a wise advisor. The wise servant of the king must know how to help the king pursue wisdom and how to wisely correct the king when the king is wrong. Uh, The commentator Schwab says, imagine the self-possessed courtier serving at the royal court and the careful manner in which he must weigh his words before speaking. He must restrain himself from emotionalism, advocate for the poor and for justice, present himself as a skillful speaker before his Lord, and manage the political positioning of his rivals and his peers. The wise servant is one who has learned wise wisdom as a young man and has learned to apply it in his role as advisor to the king. And Solomon says that the king will delight in somebody who knows how to lead the king well, how to advise the king wisely. Now, most most of us in this room will not have opportunities to advise kings or presidents or Congress people or county commissioners or the dog catcher if he's an elected official. But each and every one of us will have and has had an opportunity to advise friends to advise family members whenever we see them stumbling, whenever we see them sinning. And we are called to pursue righteousness in those advisory relationships. We are called to remember the equitable nature of the relationships. We are called to remember the love that is part of those relationships. We are called to remember the truth that is part of those relationships. And our friends are blessed just as we are blessed when we have wise advisors in our lives. We serve our friends, we serve our family by guiding them to righteousness, even if that means at times confronting them for unwise decisions or sin in their life. And after calling us to be wise guides, to give wise guidance to people in our lives, Solomon highlights one of the most effective tools for that guidance, and that once again is wise words. Ever wonder why Solomon focuses so much time on words 
in the book of Proverbs. It's one of the easiest things that can get us in trouble. It's one of the easiest things that we can mess up and use wrongly. And so Solomon spends a lot of time on words. And in this time, in this particular instance, he calls us to gentle words. Verse 15, one, or chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. So what do we do? What does the servant, what does that wise servant do when he confronts the king for an unwise decision and the king doesn't take it well? Now, I'm sure I'm the only one in this room who has ever made this mistake where I have confronted somebody and they have not responded well. And I respond in kind to their response. I respond, they they respond with angry words. Well, I take that back. I really don't even respond in kind because I ramp it up. I've got to one up them on top of it, do I not? I have to add those harsh words. I have to add those destructive words whenever somebody whom I have gone to to be a wise advisor has not taken it well. Like I said, I'm sure I'm the only one that's ever done that. Now, Solomon says that that's not the way we should respond. He says that it is a gentle answer that turns away wrath or rage. Now, the gentle answer can also be the kind answer. But it's the wise answer. It's the prudent answer. It's the discerning answer. It's it's all those synonyms of wisdom that we have seen throughout the book of Proverbs thus far. Look at chapter one, verses one through verses one through seven again, when you have a few moments and see all those synonyms for wisdom. That's the gentle answer. It's it's wise in its answer, but it's also kind on top of its wisdom. It's harsh when it, it's. Firm, maybe not harsh, but it's firm when it needs to be, but it's still kind. It's still loving. It's not devoid of truth. And I think that's important for us to understand because verse two reminds us that the tongue of the wise commends knowledge or literally makes knowledge and wisdom beautiful to the angry person. It's it's that it's that answer that diffuses the situation. It's the answer that's hard to come across at times. It's not the answer that just kind of ignores things and let them go. We have a tendency to take chapter 15, verse 1, grossly out of context. We take the wife who is in a a relationship where the husband is angry and abusive, and we tell her just to be quiet, just to be meek, and ride the storm out. And once he calms down, then everything will be okay. No, if you're in that situation, leave. Get out. It's not just... Being quiet and letting things go. It's being willing to rest in the truth, to rest in wisdom and have the tact to have the skill, to have the kindness to get your word through, to get God's word through, even in the midst of anger, even in the midst of wrath. It has to be built up, though. It has to be built up through love. We can't just go and unfortunately, this is what we like to do a lot of times. We like to go and confront complete strangers about their sin. The gentle answer requires history. 
If you have a history with someone where you have shown love, where you have shown patience, where you have shown gentleness, they should know that you have their righteousness and the community's righteousness as your paramount concern. They may get angry with you when you confront them with the advice that goes against what they desire, but if they know that you love them, if they know that you are seeking their sanctification, their holiness, their becoming more and more like God, your answer will be kind and will be gentle. Through wisdom, stay the course. Seek wise ways to help them see the folly and the danger that they are in by pursuing folly. Some ways that we can pursue the gentle word is to pray through or over the situation either on your own or with the other person right there. We're reminded in Nehemiah 2 that Nehemiah's face was downcast as he was serving the king. And the king said, why is your face so downcast? Why are you sad? And he he gave that real quick prayer to God that God answered. Now it was founded and, and built upon a foundation of prayer that Nehemiah had in his life that we see in Nehemiah 1. But remember to pray. Use your own life and your own struggles with sin as an example. This is the get the log out of your own eye before you seek to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Where we have gone to the Lord, we have repented our own sins, maybe the same sins that we are getting ready to confront. And we say, look, man, I, you know, I struggle with this myself. But I see a danger for you, the same danger that has been pointed out to me in the past, and I want to show you where you may be going wrong. Affirm the priority of the relationship and God's righteousness as expressed in that relationship. Look, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are members of the same family and we are both on the same road to pursuing righteousness. I'm in this with you. I'm not just here to confront you, but I'll walk you. I'll walk all the way through this with you. Affirm your love for the other person. Once again, we have to have that history. We have to have that relationship with them in order to be able to approach them and confront them. Affirm the common goal that you are seeking in the situation. As I mentioned before, we all in America, I truly believe, have the same goal in mind. And we need to do a better job of affirming that before we attack. Deal with the issue, not the person. How many of you have offended somebody? And instead of dealing with the issue, they came after you. How did that feel? And finally, rest in the cross. See, our natural inclination is not to the gentle answer. Our natural inclination is to magnify our own glory over the other person. And we'll do that any way possible whether it's through name-calling, whether it's through escalation of anger, whether it's through ignorance, or not ignorance, but ignoring the other person. Our natural inclination is to seek ourselves, but that natural inclination for the children of God has been crucified in Christ. It is no longer who you are. You are holy, you are chosen, you are beloved, and you are able to pursue the gentle answer through the power of the cross. We need to take our desire for revenge. We need to take our desire for anger. We need to take our desire to always be right to the cross. 
and be reminded that the lamb who before his shearers was silent has given us the power through the Holy Spirit to give the gentle answer when we wish to be harsh. And then Solomon reminds his son, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Don't we want to be known as people who give life? As people who can be a source of growth and a source of health. You know, each of us have heat in our lives and the heat can either produce thorns or it can produce fruit. God sends the heat. We have no control over it. But we do have control through the power of the cross over whether we produce life or death in our relationships especially through the words. Our our culture today is pursuing righteousness. We're all trying to get to grandma's house. The problem is that we are lost and we can't agree on how to get there. And unfortunately, most of the time in our culture today, each and every one of us is tempted and sometimes more likely to respond with the harsh words that stir up anger than with the gentle answer that brings peace, that brings life. And unfortunately, it's not only in politics. We do it in families. We do it in friendships. We do it in communities. And yes, we do it in churches. As human beings, we have forgotten the gentle answer. Or we view the gentle answer as weakness. Now, I'm not advocating here, as I mentioned before, for the abandonment of truth. God has revealed the directions to righteousness, not just a relational righteousness, but also a covenantal and a forensic righteousness. And those words should be followed. What I am advocating for here is the proclamation of that truth into our culture, into our relationships in a gentle manner. In the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are the meek. Oftentimes we look at that word meek and we put a W on the front of it and we say, blessed are the weak. That's not the case at all. I've heard it explained before that meek is a word that would describe a war horse broken for battle. It's ready for the fight. It's ready for the charge, but it only does so under the direction and the guidance of the king. And brothers and sisters, the king is watching everywhere to see that we pursue the gentleness of the cross as we pursue truth. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for the work that has been done for us, that my nature, our nature, has been crucified in Christ so that I no longer have to follow the harsh words, but I have the ability to pursue the gentle answer. Lord, when I disagree with people and the means by which to pursue that relational righteousness within our culture, help me to be kind. Help me to be gentle. Help me to pursue truth, but do so in a way that is gentle and brings life. And forgive me, forgive us for the times when we have answered anger with anger, when we have been harsh and hurtful in our words and have pursued our own glory over yours and over the life of our friends, of our families, of our communities, and of our churches. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Our closing hymn today comes from that maroon book again, the hymn book number 77. 77. Savior, again to thy dear name we raise. We lift our praises once more corporately before we go into the world to lift them individually to our Lord and Savior. So let us stand and praise God through our singing of hymn 77. As we go this week, take this blessing upon you. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. We respond to that with come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.